0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tech Tech Talk, episode 14, the last episode of season one.
1: Yay! Round of applause.
0: We made it. It's a little bittersweet, but here we are. Um, So first, I guess we'd just like to say thank you to everybody for listening and tuning in. We really appreciate all of our loyal followers, all the feedback you've given us. And we've had a great time producing this podcast, so thank you so much.
1: Uh, It's been a great run. I can't believe we're already on episode 14, Uh, especially if we want to think about based on college semesters. Rob and I kind of had this idea right before the semester started and we kept brainstorming about it and we really got it started probably I think late February. Uh, But we're really just appreciative of all the support since the initial launch and then through all of our episodes that you guys have given. So it's kind of bittersweet that season one is already over.
0: Yeah, we look forward to picking up with season two. Um, So tonight we have a little bit of a special episode. We have... Candice, myself, and Selena will be on the podcast fully for the first time. Hi. And we'll be going through some of the questions you've asked us throughout the year and then getting into some, uh, some, I guess, reflective stuff, talking about our favorite episodes, things like that. Um, So yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, So to start us off, um, should we talk about Google I.O.?
1: Yeah, I guess that's the most time appropriate thing. So Google I.O. is the big software event that goes on. It's happening soon. Um, and so they actually have like a large spectrum of different things that happen on Google I.O. I think the biggest thing is kind of our predictions of what would happen. Um, but what are you most excited about?
0: I'm most excited about? Uh, I'm excited for the things that I think, um, you know, I'm not gonna expect. I feel like Google I.O. is one of those conferences where they're gonna pull out something that's totally new, a new venture for Google, and that'll be the most exciting thing, whether that be something with home automation, wearables, um, something with Chrome, Chrome merging into Android. I think that's going to be the exciting stuff. Um, I'm hoping they'll put some more details out about Android N, maybe some more stuff with the Chromebooks. All their operating systems usually get at least some attention at this event, but that's probably what I'm most excited about is that new thing that's going to um, really wow me or you know show kind of the road back for Google in 2016.
1: Yeah, you can tell that it's going to be a really action-packed event because... They've already done a couple of, of releases. So they released Android N, the preview, a little bit early. So that's already one sign that they yeah. didn't have the packet with Android N stuff. They also um, released Google Spaces, which is an app that they have for collaboration. I kind of want to think about how it's almost like be their Slack competitor, in a way, for mm-hmm. collaboration. And so you can already tell that they have so much that they've done all this early stuff initially. So I'm super excited. Um, there's been some early speculation about what they're doing with home automation. And they're actually coming out with an Amazon Echo competitor. And so some people said it's called Chirp or Google Home. um, But what are your thoughts about that?
0: I think it would be um, pretty cool. You know, I want to, for the listeners, I don't have an Amazon Echo, so this might not be a very experienced point of view. Um, I think it's cool, but I'm not sure what companies like Apple, Google, Microsoft with embedded assistants um, like Siri, Google Now, Cortana have as much to gain as Amazon did um, so I think it will be cool I think adding stuff to Google now for home automation or more specific stuff because I know it can already do some things would be cool but I'm not sure if it will be like you know the big breakthrough thing um, like the Echo was but I'm excited to see what they do and I hope there's more stuff in that area Amazon needs some competition
1: yeah it's I've been thinking about it recently because I've had some poor experiences recently with Siri where it just hasn't worked. So I think I'm just really craving having that voice assistant that's pretty much accurate that I can trust. Um, seeing people really happy with the Amazon Echo has been surprising, but I like want my speaker now, my UE Boom speaker to be smarter than that. And so I want to I imagine that if they release something like a Chromecast where it's super low cost, open APIs, um, and has that Google Now capabilities, I would get one instantly. Uh, I think I'm just at this point so fed up with the lack of development on Siri that I want something else and I wouldn't mind paying you know, $30 to plug something into my wall.
0: Mm-hmm. I think the price point could definitely be somewhere where they could really disrupt the market because the Echo right now is what, almost $200?
1: And then the Echo Dot, which is their more affordable option without the built-in speaker, you can only get if you already own a larger Echo.
0: Mm-hmm. And the, inter- the interesting thing about Google Now, which I'm assuming will be the assistant on this. Um, you know, it's already in so many devices. I mean, it's in watches, phones, you name it, Androids everywhere. So they really have the potential to really shake things up here. You can control it from your browser because Chrome has Google now, I think, right?
1: Yeah, no, yeah. and it's, and they're pretty open about it too, right? Like on Android phones, you can say like, use Messenger to message someone, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot less limited than Siri where you can really play directly into third party apps. And so yeah, a dream of mine would be like telling Google, whatever Google chirp to, you know, use Messenger to send Selena a message all from without touching the phone, that's what I want in the end. In the end, I don't really care who it comes from.
0: Yeah, if they did some big Google Now updates, that would be cool, because it's one of those things that hasn't been touched nearly as much as some of the other features, I feel like. I mean, Now on Tap was cool, but I don't hear anybody talking about Now on Tap I haven't Tap seen anymore. much
1: development. I think part of the issue is not many people are still running the newest version of Android, so like no one really gets to experience it at this point.
0: That's true. If this was an OS version independent feature, that'd be really awesome.
1: Um, the next thing is actually, so I read an article recently. It's from Wired, but it was a profile about Sundar Pichai, who is the CEO of Google, which is now under Alphabet. Um, but Google Cardboard actually was given out in the goodie bags in an I/O when it was released. But that was like a last-minute decision. So mm-hmm. a team of over like twenty people stayed up all night removing Google Cardboards out of the gift bags, like eleven thousand gift bags, <laughs> just so they could be handed out so they could experience it directly. And so there's a lot of emphasis now on like Oculus and virtual reality. I think this is a prime time for Google Cardboard, especially the the mainstream device, to really develop into something different.
0: Mm. Google Cardboard could be really interesting. And you know, as phones improve, I could definitely see a place where it's just as good as other VR systems. Um, you know, of note, I guess, would be the Samsung VR solution. Yeah. I forget what they call it exactly, but they're partnering with Oculus. I know they have Minecraft on that now, which is pretty killer. Um, if Google or Google Cardboard gets could get something like that, that'd be really disruptive.
1: Yeah, I think like Google's, my one of my favorite of Google strategies is get technology that is innovative but cheap, and so you have no choice but just to get it. I feel like there's so many different Google products that integrate into my life just because the price point is so low. And something like a Google Cardboard is so easy to get, and it's so easy to do a quick demo to get people interested. I have so many friends who don't even know what it is. They try, and now they know what really virtual reality
0: means. Mm. Yeah, Google Cardboard right now, though, I have to say, um, my my parents got one, actually. They just found one in, like, a magazine they got. Um, they thought it was cool, but my mom, she described it as, like, one of those click viewers um, that kids' toys are like. And the you, Viewmasters, she like, yeah. She's like, yeah, a Viewmaster. She's like, it's good. It's, like, a better Viewmaster. And I think that's a pretty apt description, actually, of the current state of Google Cardboard. I know they yeah. have some games. I played the one where you, like, shoot things. Yeah. And it's, okay. it's okay. You know, it works. Um, but it's not... Um, quite there. I think it's definitely a hardware limitation. Um, yeah. If Google has some stuff to increase the performance or more developer support, I think it could be really interesting. And I totally agree. It has the potential to be really disruptive.
1: I think, yeah, also another thing aside from video games, which is a, a big chunk of what VR is, I think is for storytelling. And that's why you see New York, the New York Times investing so much. Like every single week now they have an expose and they have a Google Cardboard component. But just watching those stories and watching one about like North Korea and stuff and being completely immersed um, in the country that no American is really allowed in. It was really, really awesome. So I think, I, I'm interested to find out what more like more people think that are beyond the tech sphere about what Google Cardboard is like. Selena, Selena. <laughs> you've you tried Google Cardboard. I own two and you've tried both. Right. And so like, would you ever get one for yourself to use for your own recreation?
2: I mean, I worked with a VR startup this semester and I did all their advertising and they ran on the Google Cardboard platform. Um, I would rather have one of the, I guess like like the Mattel option, like the plastic you or headset. I think from you working all semester um, with the startup and using the cardboard headset, it kind of hurts your face. <laughs> like, yeah. One of my, like someone in my group actually had like a scrape on their face from using like the this, cardboard version, the right? actual cardboard headset. So I don't know. I don't think cardboard. I don't think Google cardboard is the end all be all. But I like the idea of having a really free, accessible way to.
0: Thing. What is your feeling on watching three D videos? Do you like it? Have you done a lot of that or
2: I? So for me, I think I think when I look at content online, a lot of the big feature for me is social sharing and like sending a YouTube video to Candice or like watching something with my friends. And VR right now is a very like personal product, and I like I just naturally don't like that, and I don't see myself ever. Sitting, because like there's no really position when you use VR, right? You're kind of like standing in space and like and watching. It's like something you want to do for a minute and then stop. Yeah. At least for me, and like maybe that's just from having a screen so close to my eyes. I don't know.
0: No, I totally agree. You know, I think there's a lot of hype around 360 video right now, and it's cool. But like whenever I watch 360 videos, I'm always like, where should I be looking? Like, yeah. what am I missing behind me? And it's like you almost have to watch it a couple of times. It's kind to of get like
2: it. an annoying anxiety. Like, am I watching this content correctly?
1: yeah i find like the best experience sometimes is just sitting in like a, a wheelie chair and just rotating that way because if you're standing then you kind of look even dumber just walking around and stuff
0: hmm. sometimes i find it really cool when like i'm watching a 360 video when i'm walking because like i kind of get a perspective naturally because i'm like moving a little bit or like if i turn
1: you don't get any motion sickness that way i feel like well, that's like the perfect Formula. For I guess it. I should
0: clarify when I'm watching like on my phone, like in a Facebook feed or on a YouTube video. Oh yeah. But I totally agree about that anxiety when you're watching a 360 video on VR. It's it's a lot, but hopefully they'll they'll overcome it. Yeah.
1: The real question is, are they going to dive into more higher end to have an Oculus competitor? Because they've dipped their toe into this consumer and exposing people, but like they have enough R and D money and they have enough money in the bank to really be a competitor, but they haven't really done much yet. Do you think they're going to do it now?
0: My thought is no. You know Google's. Place their bet on the low end, and, you know, I think they're going with Moore's Law on this one. Eventually, the technology will get there where the smartphone experience is as good or good enough where it won't even matter. But
1: Actually, that's yeah, that's guess. a really good point because they're investing all of their resources into Android, into Chrome, um, into these platforms. For them to really rely currently on technologies to make a high-end one, they would have to go back into, you know, quote-unquote more legacy software, mm-hmm. right? Windows, a great graphics card, etc.
0: Yeah, so I mean, we'll have to see. And I'm sure the Windows desktop platforms will always have some sort of advantage just because of size and power consumption constraints. But it'll be interesting. Um, I don't know. We'll probably see something with that, I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, one thing I would like to talk about that we don't have on our list, actually, the combination of Android and um, Chrome OS. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know they are coming out with Android N stuff, which kind of has already come out. But um, the windowing and stuff, like mm-hmm. that could very easily segue onto Chrome OS. I feel. What do you think they're going to do there?
1: Yeah, I um. You can already like I believe at this point that you can pretty much run any Android app on Chrome OS. It started out with a couple of selected apps, and they've now sort of like expanded support. Um, we have Chromebooks in my family. Uh, we like them because of really low maintenance, automatically update. But a lot of times, I think I would prefer having a smartphone or tablet based experience, emulated in Chrome OS over the HTML five web version. And so I think my guess is that they haven't invested so much in their tablets, their Android tablets, because they're just waiting to move this, to merge them together. This will be their argument against the iPad.
0: So what do you think is going to happen to Chrome OS?
1: I think it will merge. I think a lot of core Android parts will merge into it, and they're going to be selling the sub $300 you know, $300 laptops that we see right now as Chromebooks, but they also have touchscreens, and they do run mainly Android, and that's the main experience. They have a really full version of desktop Chrome, but then you get all of the app and window experience of Android. Hmm.
0: Part of that kind of makes me sad because I like the idea of Chrome OS. A lot of people have spoken out about it so, so simple, so pure, and that's kind of like, you know, it's nice. It's a very simple computer, and it makes the browser, you know, first and foremost. That's, there's something nice about that, But that said, I, I tend to agree with you. I think they it seems like a very obvious move. And if they do that, I mean, that's a great play for the desktop and for other platforms. And if they can do all that inside of Chrome, I mean, there goes, you know, Windows. Like, Windows is just a platform to run Chrome.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, Android. People always argue that either the Chromecast or Android is Google's Trojan horse into all technology. In reality, it's really just Chrome, right? It's so ubiquitous. It's now currently the most popular browser. This is their perfect argument to against Microsoft Surface and what they want as their vision of like ubiquitous Windows and of course Apple with iOS and the iPad, it's a pretty efficient way of getting people onto their desktop or their vision of future desktops.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, and I think it's it's interesting to see what'll happen. I I have mixed thoughts about that. Definitely,
1: it's compelling of a product once again if it's a low enough price point for me to even just try it. I wouldn't mind getting you know another Chromebook under $200 to try out to see what that experience is like bouncing in between Android apps and Chrome.
0: I guess what for me is kind of like, you know, maybe not a hesitation, but a question is, do I want this? Like, um, is it cool? Undoubtedly, but have I ever craved to have phone apps on my computer, you know? Like, usually I go to the computer when I'm fed up with the phone app or like I want more granular control Mm -hmm. and putting the app onto the desktop you know, Microsoft has tried this, um, and it's, like, it's it's cool. It can be better. It's similar to a tablet experience, but without, like, the ease or I, – I would say the ease of use, actually, because it's designed for a tablet, but it's mouse and keyboard, so it's, like, yeah, okay. I don't know. I I mean, you know, Google can obviously do it differently in their own way, so we'll see what happens. But I'm not sure if this is, like, the the end-all solution for what software will be like.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. Um, I think – I don't know. It's weird because I th- It's not meant to be a maybe not a desktop, but it's the answer to the iPad, where iOS can run pretty much, when you, like on an iPad 9.7, when you run two apps next to each other, it's pretty much just two smaller smartphone apps side by side and you get that experience. But it's actually been a really enjoyable one and probably maybe one of the biggest Achilles heels of the iPads is that Safari and whatever browser you download still is recognized as a desktop or a mobile browser. Something with what they could do with a Chromebook and what they could do with merging Android is you still get a full browser and it's recognized that way by all the major websites, so you don't really lose that on an experience. It's not considered a mobile browsing experience, but then you get all the refinement of really great Android apps.
0: Hmm. Interesting point, yeah. It'll be really interesting to see what they do there because that's really an area with a lot of growth and yeah. definitely the forefront of the software will be.
1: There's a lot of crop that comes with Android, so that's my biggest fear, right? There's so much additional features and so much... Just extra baggage that Android comes with, with for it being so mature. I don't want it to ruin the purity of Chrome OS because it's so simple. It's like the perfect minimalist operating system if you can live in that op- in that ecosystem. But it's interesting to see what it could become because I think Android users are still waiting for their next next computing device, right?
0: Mm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Android has become very mm-hmm. ubiquitous, but with that maturity, it's definitely taking a lot of blow and. You know, the Android software experience has a lot of pros, definitely, and a lot of, you know, drawbacks compared to traditional desktop computing. So, we'll see. It'll definitely be very interesting. I know they once talked about how Photoshop was coming to Chrome OS, so. Oh, really? It'll be really interesting to see what happens. I I don't know if it has yet, but Adobe was working on something.
1: Like, I just keep thinking, like, the real smoke in the air is that Google has not really pushed for great development of tablet apps for Android. And I think there's a reason, and it could be that they're pushing everyone to go into Chrome instead. Mm. So a company could invest all their resources into making a really great browser version of something like Photoshop, and then not have to mix development.
0: Yeah, I could see that. I mean, if only for Android, and there seems like there'll be greater push for resizable, scalable Android apps, but yeah. we'll have to see. I, um, I actually kind of wish it was the opposite way. I wish they're merging Chrome into Android almost. Yeah. That would be really cool. Because, like,
1: technically, you do have a Chrome browser. That's, like, the main one on Android. But it's not the Chrome experience that we feel on the desktop.
0: Or all web. If the web was, like, good enough to have everything on that phone be web.
1: It's been, like, this vision for so long, right? Even when the first iPhone came out and didn't have an app store, Steve Jobs, like, proclaimed that, like, web clips were good enough. Yeah. And we're still now in 2016 not to that point. And now, like, it's still kind of fragmented.
0: Yeah. i mean there's some interesting stuff out there, but it's not... Yeah. It's just not good enough.
1: Um, aside from the window splitting and stuff, was there anything else about Android N that gets you excited?
0: <sighs> uh, there were other cool features. I think the over-the-air updates for the Nexus program and um, the betas is really big. So I think that's great for their fragmentation and that can make them a, um, a much more appealing offer for some current iPhone fans. But mostly the, win- the multi-screen yeah. apps, whatever, that was big. Yeah,
1: I'm selfish. I just hope that it becomes popular enough that it pressures Apple into doing it because I would love to do split screen on (laughs) iOS on my Plus, my 6S Plus.
0: Yeah, I can see that being pretty useful.
1: Uh, Using it so much now on my iPad Pro, sometimes I just want to swipe over and add a second window just checking something when I'm holding it in landscape. Um, I hope that comes in the newest version of iOS.
0: Mm. I know friends of mine with a Galaxy phone always use the multitasking. They say it's great
1: if you're gonna if if all these android phones are gonna come with like four gigs of ram standard now they should be able to do something like that
0: yeah why not pretty well okay uh anything else for google io
1: um i guess my last big thing is i'm not sure because they only updated it recently but something for chromecast any type of update i think i'm going to proclaim on this podcast that currently my favorite streaming device for my entertainment center is the chromecast really um I would think it was the Apple TV, but I have not turned on my newest generation Apple TV in about a couple of months. Yes, why is that? I think for me, and I know it's not the case for a lot of people, is I do so much browsing on my phone, and my phone is probably the most seamless browsing experience for media, that it's just so easy to hit that cast button, and they're so inexpensive. So I have Chromecast at my parents' house on pretty much every major television that we watch. So that's number four Chromecasts. And the way you set it up, you can give them different labels. So if we're sitting in the kitchen or sitting in the living room, I would set up that I don't need the Apple TV to stream stuff. And there's one in every room. Um, and, and it's to the point where it's so seamless and it's so inexpensive that I was thinking about getting Chromecast audio. And the only reason why I haven't decked out my house with almost like Sonos-like experience is that uh, Apple Music doesn't work on Chromecast audio.
0: Oh, uh, the killer
1: but they're super inexpensive, they're super seamless. I know a lot of like our parents and people love having a remote and a direct interface. For me, it's whatever is the easiest way of moving the content from my phone to the TV. And that's exactly what I've gotten with uh, with the Chromecast. So I hope they do something, maybe they add new services or even update the design again, but big fan of the Chromecast. Mm.
0: I hope with the Apple TV, they do something like, um, I don't know if you've used it, but with the Xbox One, they, if you are on your phone, you can cast to that with the phone, and they have a pretty good experience, like you can set up a queue, and multiple people can work yeah. on it. So that's really nice. I wish they would do something like that with the Apple TV, because, for my understanding at least.
1: AirPlay is super rudimentary. Mm-hmm. It's like, the, also the big thing, the great value of Chromecast is you're not making a direct stream to the Chromecast, and then it's dependent on your phone receiving the data. What they do is they send the URL to the Chromecast, and it's completely independent. So you could leave the app, even if you're on iOS. Yeah. Um, for AirPlay, if you're sending a video, and then you decide to check something on your iPhone, it cuts off the signal.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that is definitely a much more um, redundant strategy and much more durable.
1: Yeah, so I'm excited. I'm not sure if they're going to because it took them two years to update the hardware on the Chromecast, and this current one is still pretty new. Um, but I'm going to make that proclamation now. Um, if you want to argue with me, you can at reply to me at CandicePoon on Twitter. But that's my big proclamation.
0: Mm. I do disagree. I don't think they're going to really add anything new, but I do agree that it is a very accessible and probably the most accessible media streaming device.
1: Yeah, I, um, a lot of our friends are graduating this year. I think like a great graduation gift for anyone for a new grad is a Chromecast. Pretty much every kid owns a smartphone. Um, they're going to move into some type of studio apartment with a TV. Easiest way to make it smart, and they know how to use it. Give them a Chromecast.
0: Wise words, Candice Poon. Okay, um, so our next question was about social media. Uh, what are your thoughts, Selena and Candice, on the Instagram updates, the new app icon, the new UI? Uh, what do you think? Like it, hate it, why?
1: Um, I saw it and I was excited because the change has been forever. I really didn't like the skeuomorphic. At this point I didn't like the icon as much because it didn't match and it's been two two software versions since iOS 7 that big change to flat design. So it kind of always stuck out. I really didn't like it. Um, I think inside of the app it wasn't that bad. It's really I think pretty well designed. It's pretty easy to use. Um, But change is going to happen and uh, people obviously are very unhappy about it. I'm just very indifferent. I feel like I'm lost in a crowd of angry voices, but in the end, they're going to keep it that way. They invested a lot of money in developing the design, uh, and then we're just going to get used to it. What do you think?
0: I like it. Oh, will it's like it's like a six out of ten. You know, it's it's okay. I like that it's consistent with the other allocation designs. Um, what I am confused by a little bit is if you look at their website, like they have a very Nice, consistent Instagram icon there. The favicon is the app icon, but they have this icon, and like, I like the web interface. Like, this looks consistent with the design. Oh, sorry, Seriously.
1: Uh And for people who are just listening, um, the web design is very similar to the in-app design, where it's a uh, black and white design, and the icon itself is just a very simple pictographic interpretation of the Instagram camera. So it's literally a rounded square with a circle in the middle, and then the dot for the uh, the flash.
2: I think people overreacted to the change. Like, I I think it it looks nice and it's up to date. Um, I don't think it offended me as much as, like, the new Spotify color or anything like
1: that. I think (laughs) it was, truthfully, a lot of younger people. We talked about recently how Instagram is being used more and more by the younger generation. And there's a move away from Facebook. And so I think, you know, back in the day when there was a major change in Facebook's UI, it was that same type of backlash.
2: Yeah, I would agree, but... I think it looks nice and and, um, it's up to date with other apps and how they're kind of rendering.
1: And they're not neglecting it. So like this is a good sign that Facebook still cares about a lot of their separate entities. Like I feel like for a long time WhatsApp was really behind in keeping the app up to date. So it didn't have like things like forced or a 3D touch and like updates to, to match the software. And you know, like Facebook will drag their feet on certain things. For the longest time, the Facebook app itself was terrible. And yeah. they didn't have an iPad version until you know two years ago, a year ago. So this is a good sign that they believe in this core product.
2: Mm. I mean, there's really... I just downloaded it actually right before our talk today. And there's really not any like usability issues. It, they didn't change the way I use it at all. It's just the way it looks. And I think it's fine.
1: And mm. I think the black and white is nice because I think symbolically, it just shows that you should let the content really speak for itself. Like people were really angry that a lot of the icons and the elements lost their color. But in the end, you kind of want those things to fade and you wanna focus on what you see as the images, right, as the user-generated content Mm
2: -hmm. and not
1: the icons. I think that's my biggest argument for the black and white. I like it.
0: I like the black and white a lot. Um, And don't get me wrong, I think this um, gradient icon is fine. Like, I do think it's an improvement, so in that sense, I like it. Um, What I was just saying was, I think the black and white design on their website, which is a little confusing, that they have two different icons, is more consistent with the theme. And I like it because of the consistency. But yeah. I think the icon is absolutely fine and I think it definitely pops on my home screen. So I think I've been clicking Instagram a lot more. Maybe that was oh, what they were yeah. going for.
1: Truthfully I would I would I like the black and white icon on the website. I wanna imagine that I would really like it on my home screen, but I wouldn't.
2: No, I wouldn't either. People it be would be angry about terrible
1: <laughs> right if it was just, just black and white in yeah. that icon.
0: That's true. It really would kinda of clash with the rest of the icon. People
1: would be so angry about that more. I think people are going to get used to the gradient.
2: As a design student, I also really appreciate the video they kept plugging where they went through all the different iterations of the logo and that, that was, was really cool. really cool.
1: Yeah, cool. exactly. Like I think that gave us that gave if it gave me more reason to also defend it cuz like we go through that all the time especially as college students learning about design. It's so iterative and when you show it on the board and people reduce it into this idea that you just thought of it randomly and it didn't have intention, yeah. it's really difficult and I can only imagine for people who work on this product and spent so much time not being able to really defend themselves in a way because it's all over social media. Um, But I think it's pretty good. I think change will always bring backlash.
0: Yeah. I'm sure this won't be talked about in a while, as most UI updates are. But, you know, I think it's interesting because, um, I was talking about this earlier, but software updates have really changed in their scope. You know, if we look back to before the iPhone, before um, software stores were so commonplace. I know Linux had them forever, but, um, you know, it used to not be such a big deal like if when Windows Vista came out it was just oh I'm just not going to upgrade but now it's like this big thing and everybody gets it at the same time which is super cool like yeah. I think Snapchat is kind of the antithesis of the Instagram one where there was backsl- backlash um, when they came out with the live um, filters I guess for lack of a better word the you know the animations on your face like I remember I was on an Android phone and people were like oh this is so cool and I was upset I didn't have the feature mm-hmm. so it's like updates have become this like hot commodity and it's it's pop culture in a lot of ways too which is really interesting
1: i think these apps especially things on the phone and the smartphone is like probably the most intimate device is it's a core component of a lot of people's lives i know it is for me you know things like messenger venmo instagram play a big part and like at this point in 2016 we're so used to this iterative culture that you know every two weeks we can update and almost like get something for free and new that's exciting that you can chat about i think that's where the excitement comes from and you didn't get that with things like video games that you bought on cartridges or operating systems that you updated once every 8 years at this point we just have this expectation that like every two weeks we're going to get gifts from like this ultimate being
0: Yeah, I wouldn't use the word gifts though. I feel like it's it's usually good. I I think we have a little bias towards yeah. our background to think of them as exciting and new but you know, I don't know if it's always good like I am um, I think there's a lot of downsides to this too. Yeah. Um, I don't get care as much but I know with music now, as it's being streamed and artists are changing the songs after the fact, there's a lot of backlash on that. That's not great. You don't have as much control over your library. Um, and then with games and stuff too, you know, it's cool that you can get a patch, but the downside of that is like people are releasing games that aren't finished and they're patching them after they're shipped. Yeah. And they're cashing in on like the good faith of their brand, the pre orders. And it's not really fair to consumers. Like there's not yeah. the expectation that your product has to be finished anymore. Which is... That's scary. Yeah. It is scary.
1: Uh, yeah, I, that's like the that's the problem that would emerge if we have this type of iterative um, iterative design. Um, I guess it's a double-edged sword. Um, you know, like any of these major changes that come out, I'm usually the first one. I think we're both early adopters. We're not afraid. I just remember when iOS 7 came out and it was such a drastic change and there, was, there were major technical issues with it, with people downloading it, with it breaking their phone, erasing things. And it was just a major UI overhaul where people really didn't like it in the beginning. Um, I think it still has ramifications today where people refuse to update their phone software. Mm. Um, and even if they have enough storage and they've lessened the limitations for storage, people are just afraid that they're going to do something to their phone. And it's just so frustrating having people spread these like articles that are not completely true about bricking things, and then they have issues because they're still running iOS 7. I have a problem right now with my aunt who just refuses to update her iPhone, and she's on iOS 5.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, that's a fair point. And I guess the other you know facet to that is the hardware doesn't update as fast as the device does. And this is becoming less and less of a problem as chips get better, but I know people with like the 4S where it's like the worst thing they ever did was update to iOS 9. Yeah.
1: That I think is like, they could spend more time, if they were, they could spend more time and resources making it more efficient on older devices, but do they really have to? Because like in the end, they're looking at their revenue streams and like there's really no, there's a real no reason to, right?
0: Yeah, and it's a fine line, too. It's like, is it planned um, obsolescence. obsolescence? On one hand, I guess you could say that, but on the other hand, like, they're also making the current devices last longer by giving them new software, fixing bugs, making them more secure. So it's, uh, it's really a double-edged sword, definitely.
1: In the end, if people, like, I, I feel like I don't want to categorize people, but the people who are so against these changes are also the people who are super afraid of, like, giving out credit card information or th- joining things like Venmo, but then they leave themselves completely open for giant security patches. Like, they won't update their Windows, they won't update iOS. So it's like they make these arguments, but they contradict themselves. Oh,
0: definitely, and I think the fact that we're both so entrenched in technology gives us a different perspective, but yeah. um, people who are less tech-savvy, I think updates are not always as exciting yeah (laughs) and and for good reason sometimes they've definitely botched um, their work windows 8 is a great example of that where you know there were some cool new things but it was a step forward as a stretch maybe for some people like
1: Um, and i totally understand like i always think of the perspective like we are people into technology but like what are things that i just see as utility so it's like my car like for some reason every time i drove my car there was a possibility where the position of my pedal changed a little bit or I didn't, I couldn't use my wind, windshield wiper, but it's all for good reason, I would still be fairly unhappy and I wouldn't update, right? People see their phones as those types of utilities, so I understand why they don't like the change, but I would also update my car if it was also less likely to crash itself.
0: Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I, too, would upgrade my car. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really interesting, all that stuff. I'm going to move on just because we have a lot of stuff left to cover, but the update culture is something we can dig a lot into, for sure. So Selena. Uh, for you, or would you like to ask us questions? I've been asking all the questions.
1: Um, so I guess we'll share. So this is our season finale. Part of the reason why we're having a season finale is this is kind of the last episode before we kind of disperse off for the summer. And our awesome producer, Selena, is now graduating and leaving. And so we actually received some awesome, fun questions for her specifically because she's had uh, a smaller presence on the podcast and she's been a big component in behind the scenes of posting social media and doing our show notes. So we have three questions for you, Selena, if you're ready to answer them.
2: Yep, I'm ready.
1: All right. So the first question is, uh, which episode has had the most show notes?
2: Um, I think it's between What's in My Bag and the tech news and culture one. Okay. Tech news and culture was overwhelming because if you remember, I had to write the show notes in the middle of me flying on a plane, and I completed them while on a layover. And I actually listened. I think you sent me the audio file through a text message, and I listened to it <laughs> while on the plane and kept pausing the text, like the audio file, to then go in my notes app on my phone and type it.
1: So, once again, if she had split <laughs> screen on her iPhone, she yeah. could simultaneously play was, the audio.
2: <laughs> and then in the middle of the Detroit airport, two minutes before I was about to board my plane, missed my boarding group, waited for the next one, and I uploaded it. Wow. So, that Thank one you. also had, like, 52 items on the show notes.
1: That one like, surprised me because I don't remember it being that much, but I do remember that we referenced a lot of different yeah. random things. There was a lot of references. And then you guys that.
2: would just, like, reference some people by, like, first name, and I was like, who, who is that? So... <laughs>
1: Um, but the tech bag one is not surprising because right, because it was just mainly yeah. a product
0: one. Right, product and product and product and product.
1: Um, but do you want to just dive really quickly? What's your workflow for doing these show notes? Let's go a little um, Usually
2: when you guys are talking, I'll type it. And if I don't know what you're saying, I put like 20 question marks. <laughs>
0: um,
2: n- mostly because I don't know what you're saying, but sometimes you guys, I don't know, don't enunciate. <laughs> um, and then after I'll go through with you and just see if anything was unclear. Sometimes things are super off or you're like, don't write that. Um, and then I think a couple of days before the show or day to sometimes the day we release it um, I just go through look everything up and link it and then we try to come up with a somewhat witty usually not that witty description
0: What uh, do you write them in and how do you like manage that? I know you I write use, them in Markdown.
2: I use Dillinger.io and I export the Markdown file
0: Okay.
2: Okay. Cool. And this is your first time running Markdown too, right? Yeah,
1: so that's a big part. Um, we're using Squarespace as our CMS so um, this is a great opportunity for Selena to learn Markdown and kind yeah. of be exposed.
2: It wasn't too hard.
1: <laughs> but it's super awesome once you use, start using it's Markdown. It's pretty useful, too. You get spoiled yeah, by is. Markdown. All right, the next big question. Rob, do you want to ask? Sure.
0: So I'm going to modify this a little bit. The original question was, what is your favorite part of making an episode? Oh, I guess, never mind. They already did it for me. Um, so what's your favorite part, and what's your least favorite part?
2: I think my favorite part is coming up with the content when we do brainstorming sessions and really seeing, I guess, like... When I was like screaming, make a ma- mission statement, and really seeing what TikTok is and how it's different from other tech podcasts, tech news, and I think having the college student um, spin is a big part of that. So that's my favorite part. Least favorite part? I don't, I don't know. Um,
0: writing the show notes in the airport.
2: Yeah, I think like it's. I think that's often, Like that's happened probably happened twice. So yeah, writing the show notes just. And the airport and I mean being a second semester senior doing 20 credits trying to find a job and freelancing was a little bit just rough in general
0: hmm. anything else you'd like to ask Selena
2: so yeah we
1: want to thank you again Selena Selena kind of just joined on as a side project she's my best friend and also a roommate and she's really done so much for our podcast and uh turned into our podcast producer so yeah we're we really in... can't thank you enough <laughs> and we'll be sure to include some of Selena's links in our show notes as well for you to follow her beyond her time at college when she's a working professional so we wish you luck thank you, yeah, thank you. Um, but now since it's our season finale we kind of do want to do a reflection um, kind of leave the conversation open as well for more suggestions for season two when it rolls back in uh, when the semester starts but um, let me ask each of you guys which one was your favorite episode
0: oh god <sighs> Um. Hmm. I really liked the episode where we talked about messaging, actually. Oh, really? Okay. I Me think too. that was one of my favorites because messaging is one of those things that I do, like, most of my interactions on my phone are messaging. Yeah. But it was interesting diving into it and talking about bots and, like, do I want to do more messaging? Do I want that to be my interface? That was really cool to me. It was really interesting talking and getting your perspective too, Candace.
2: I really liked messaging. Um, I like talking about down to lunch, which I just deleted on my phone
1: oh my it's phone finally, two days ago. I want to make like kind of Photoshop, like, like a tombstone where it's just a spreadsheet of apps that we try and we say it's like the a big lot. thing. And then what we delete.
2: I wanted it to work so bad, but nobody invited me to lunch. And then they kept sending me like notifications. About yeah,
1: stupid on stupid holidays. they never invited me either.
2: I loved, I loved that one. And I really loved What's in My Bag until I found out that was a common thing. I thought it was just us.
1: <laughs> yeah, that rolls into mine. My, my two favorite ones. And I think it's pretty uh, unsurprising for people that know me. My favorites are What's in My Bag and then um, the iPad Pro episode. I mm-hmm. think right now I'm still uh, very into the topic of what the iPad can do and how it fits in my life. And being able to discuss it from both perspective of Ray, who has one, and you who don't. And you guys are both comp sci majors. Um, I've also heard some feedback and had great conversations with people. It was almost a conversation starter for people who I never imagined would consider a tablet in their
0: lives. Hmm. For those listening, Candice has an iPad with her right now. Um, and something we didn't discuss on the show was I briefly tried out an iPad Mini, um, which is not nearly the same as the iPad Pro. But I'd say it was really fun and it did change my perspective a little bit with the iOS 9 update. With the uh, not split screen with the slide, slide over. Overview. It was, it was cool, and I was impressed. I remember there was a time after class, I was rushing, my laptop was dead, and I had to send some Slack updates, and that was perfect because I could swipe my messages to the side, quickly work with both, and the utility of it impressed me. So It
1: um, changes the game when you add a keyboard, too, um, when you imagine. find the right keyboard with a tablet and stuff. Um, I just got, uh, as a follow-up, I actually got as a gift the keyboard for the iPad Pro that's made by Apple, and it's once again made me fall in love even more with my iPad Pro. Highly recommended. I think it's worth the money if you have it. But um I'm so glad. I like hope that when we return later on um you'll also be an
0: iPad owner. We'll see. We will see. Um so moving on to favorite episodes, what do you guys want to see for the next season?
1: Um I think one really easy suggestion is um is upgrading the audio quality and investing more and just seeing what we can do to really st- uh, notch it up. I think our content is pretty strong and we have great ideas. I think that's the next big step for growth for us in season two.
0: Mm-hmm. Specifically that i like to say it'd be great if we have like a jingle or some sound effects. Yeah. Um, we've been trying to work on that this semester for you guys probably don't know but we've had mixed success um, so hopefully season two will start off with a nice jingle.
1: Yeah we're, we always kept thinking about it but that just upping the production quality. Um, Please let us know what you guys think, too. We've made some changes throughout um, all 14 episodes and kind of experimenting and at some point jerry-rigging something to make it work. Um, But we just want to hear more, maybe learn from anyone who's uh, interested or talented in that area.
0: Any technology you guys are planning to get over the summer? Or actually, I'm sorry. Selena, what would you like to see change in the show? I'd really like to hear what you have to say with that. for that.
2: Um, I think just pushing where else like TikTok stands um, among other tech podcasts and really adding that like student push and how like you guys use tech not only in your own lives, but I guess, I don't know, like and as college students because I think that relationship is really interesting. Awesome.
0: That'd be good. Any technology you're planning to get over the summer? um
1: i made a pretty big purchase already with the ipad so i don't really see it um but it is a time where i'm working so i will have a little extra money um truthfully if google comes out with any real new hardware that is pretty inexpensive i'll probably be just getting it for the sake of it um not much else how about you
0: um yeah i i plan on buying some new tech (laughs) um so last summer I spec'd out a new PC. We kinda talked about this in the last summer last episode. Um, I'm probably gonna be purchasing well, I've already gotten some of it. I'm probably gonna be finishing that off and hopefully building it so maybe season two can start with some stuff on that. Um, and then I'm I'm considering the iPad as well, but We'll see the PC's gonna be pretty expensive, so we'll see if that's
1: you're building like you're getting the complete opposite of what the iPad is anyway.
0: Yeah, and with the GTX ten eighty coming out now, uh that's definitely gonna up my budget, but it looks so good. We'll we'll see what happens. That might there that might be what happens to my iPad budget. <laughs> but we'll see. Um, you know, I'm gonna be working too, so I'm gonna have some more money on hand and um, yeah, we'll see what happens.
1: And any new tech that we do get definitely gonna be a point of discussion. We love talking about and a big part of it is just reviews and seeing how we feel about certain technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll definitely be a big part. it will actually pretty much motivate us to get new tech. Yeah. It'll be my justification personally.
0: I d I don't actually want to get a new computer. I just you know I'm doing it for the show. We're doing
1: it for we're all doing it for the show. <laughs> this iPad, I really didn't want it. I just got it for the show. Yeah. No, that's a complete lie. <laughs> um, Selena, how about you? Is there any tech on your horizon?
2: Um I think I mean I'm gonna have to buy like apartment stuff too. So like I'll probably buy a TV for the first time. Um, maybe I'll be yeah. a Chromecast. And maybe a Chromecast, actually. So, yeah, I think with moving, it's going to be a time in my life where I'm buying a lot of stuff that I probably don't need and looking for stuff that I should get. So
0: Exciting. Yeah. Well, have to let us know we could do a cool episode on, like, moving in and... Visit Selena or something. Oh my god. Oh yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> I'm also moving into a new apartment and buying a whole bunch of stuff and it'll be my first time oh, yeah. setting something up so I'm excited for that too.
0: I am not doing that but I still have plans for a new setup so you can do something definitely. <laughs> awesome. That kind of segues into our, our last and final question. For those listening who are anxious to know what is coming next in Tic Tac Talk? kind of touched on this a little bit already but. Oh. I
2: thought
1: this was an open-ended question. What did you have in mind?
0: Um, So well, I, I thought this was more like you know just the roadmap so just for those listening so we're clear okay. um we're taking a break for the summer candace and i are going to be busy working and not anywhere near each other so we thought that'd be the best
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, so I misinterpreted your question. <laughs> um, I'll do a quick explanation, I sure. guess. Yeah, so we're going to kind of structure this podcast into seasons, just like you kind of see with Serial. Um, it's kind of based around college semesters, because practically we are both college students, and we'll be here for the next couple of years as college students. So season one has ended. It's May. Um, we'll be returning back onto campus to start our next semester of college, and so episodes will begin rolling out again in September. Um, August. 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 Well,
0: by september <laughs> late august
1: early september uh be sure to check your feeds and stuff like that too um be sure also to follow us on twitter and things like that too and on facebook as well we'll be giving you updates um but in between the summer we're going to be still reading all the feedback all the emails and stuff and our full catalog of podcasts will be available for you guys to be able to listen and re-listen and re-listen again
0: yeah that's true and we might even, you know post some cool tech we find over the summer cool finds um, we'll try to keep in touch. And if, be in touch with us because we'll, it makes it much more fun to interact with an audience.
1: This feels like at the very end of like high school or middle school where you're signing your yearbook and you just want to write hags. We are <laughs> we are verbally sending you that message of hags.
0: I couldn't have said it better myself.
1: <laughs> All right. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, you like to sign
0: us off for the final time for season one?
1: So season one is over. Thank you so much guys for listening. I know we say that a lot, but um, since launching the podcast, it really became just an idea that we had before the se- uh, during the holiday season. Uh, Rob and I actually hadn't really seen each other for a little bit, uh, but this kind of came up and we launched it in February and got so much great feedback and we still get approached today by different people on campus and their daily lives. So we never expected this type of support. We really enjoyed making this content and we hope you guys enjoy it too. Um, so, you can find us on a plethora of podcasting services, most namely, of course, on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, um, and in the browser as well. Any way that you really want to listen to a podcast, we're probably on that service. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Uh I am at Candice Poon, and you are at...
0: Russo underscore Rob.
1: And we'll also be sure to include <laughs> our producer, Selena's stuff in the show notes as well, uh, since this is her last episode. Uh, and we just want to say thank you so much for the support, guys. Have a great summer.
0: Yeah. Bye.